All right, today, let's, uh, well, first of all, let's open in, in prayer. Father, we just uh, thank you. We thank you for today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together around your word. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, your love, your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for your word that you've uh, given us to, uh, for us to, to implement, to activate, to put into motion, Lord, that overrides the curse on this earth and overrides our circumstances and brings them in line with your word. Father, I'm praying today, Lord, that you will give me utterance, Lord, to speak your word with boldness and clarity and excellence. And Father, I pray you will give us all ears to hear. Father, give us an understanding heart, Lord, that we may understand and comprehend your word. Lord, that it might bring revelation knowledge to us, Father. And we will be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many doers of the word do I have? Amen. That's, that's, that's the right response. Amen. <laughs> you got it. Okay, let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Hallelujah. Today, we're going to talk about I give you authority. I give you authority. So let's start in Luke 9, verse 1 and 2. Then, Luke 9, 1 and 2, yeah. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Let's say this out loud together. He gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Amen. Now, in order to deal with demons and disease, you need power and authority. And Jesus gave it to them. Now, uh, look at the next chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. So, now uh, Jesus sends out another 70 in addition to the original 12. So now we have at least 82 disciples that he has given power and authority over demons and uh, that are subject to the name of Jesus. Um, so let's look at verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. So the, uh, these further 70 disciples uh, were coming back with a good report. They were excited that the devils were subject to their name. Now this is not just Jesus. This is not Peter, John, James, 
or any of the 12 original disciples. These are 70 more believers. We do not even know their names. But they come back from their travels and they're excited to see what the name of Jesus can do and that they actually have power and authority over demons and sickness and disease. Verse 18, uh, And he, Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now Jesus said, I personally saw Satan, or Lucifer as he was known then, fall from his position in heaven. Now we know that Lucifer uh, was not created evil, um, uh, but in a state of holiness, he led an open rebellion in heaven against God. And what did God do? He put him out. Amen. I wish he would have put him out on Mars or Neptune or somewhere else. But anyway, he put him out. He put him out down here. Uh, and Adam, with his eyes wide open, handed all the authority that God had given him, dominion over the earth. And Adam, with his eyes wide open, handed the whole ball of wax, lock, bock, and step, lock. Uh, lock, stock, and barrel, thanks, to, uh, to Satan. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it, you don't have to turn there, but it says that Satan is the god of this world, the little G-O-D. Satan is the god of this world system. And for 4,000 years throughout the entire Old Testament, Satan had the authority and the reign over the earth. But God had a plan to get the earth back. And he sent Jesus to the cross, and he took your sicknesses and your lack and your failure and your distress, and he went into hell, and he paid the price for three days, three nights. And when the price for our sin and all the curse had been paid, God said, that's enough, let him go. And Colossians 2.15 says that he spoiled the principalities and the powers that were ranged against us, and he made an open show of them, triumphing uh, over them in it. And in Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I have the keys of hell and death. So Satan is not the big shot he used to be. Amen? Praise God. He is an eternally defeated foe, and no one has ever experienced defeat and failure on the level that he has. Now, verse 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power. Now, the New King James Version says authority. Uh, we, we read over in, in Luke 9, 1, Jesus said, uh, um, he, he gave them power and authority. The word here is the word exousia, which means authority. And it means the jurisdiction or the right. The right to tread on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So he delegated his authority 
his jurisdiction, his capacity, influence, and liberty over Satan, demons, sickness, and disease. And so when, when Jesus finished telling them this and he finished delegating this authority to them, do you think that made them scared? No, I don't think it made them scared. I don't think they were afraid of the devil any longer. I don't think they shrinked back and they backed up and said, well, we're not so sure if we want to go or not. You know? I, I don't, let us think about it a little while. No, I think, I think, um, I think they, they were no longer afraid of the devil. Now, we're concerning evil spirits uh, in the spirit realm. Uh, as, as that goes, there seems to be two different camps of people. Um, we have one camp who don't believe that there is such a thing as the devil and the spirit realm uh, and angels and so forth. They don't believe that in the unseen spiritual realm. Um, there, were, uh, there was a group of people in Jesus' day that did not believe uh, in the spirit realm, and they were known as the Sadducees. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection uh, from the dead. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in angels. Uh, basically, if you couldn't see it and feel it, they didn't believe in it. So, um, uh, Acts 23.8 says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. So that's not much of a religion, is it? <laughs> you know, if you don't believe in the resurrection and you don't believe in the unseen realm, that's not much of a religion to be following. And there are some of uh, the Sadducees still around today who don't believe in the spirit. Uh, realm, and they just think that you've watched too many spooky horror films if you believe in the devil. So, uh, uh, you know, and these are the kind of people that the devil really, really likes because these are people that he can come in and devour. These are the people that he can come in with no restrictions. Uh, and just devour them, and they are no hindrance to his operation or activities on the earth. So th this is his favorite group of people, people that don't believe uh, that he exists at all. I think I told you about the survey that was done. I don't know how many people were in it, but they found that six out of ten Christians do not believe, in this survey, do not believe that the devil is a real uh, spiritual being. Um, and that he's just a symbol of evil, uh, you know, just to kind of scare people, you know, and put them off. Uh, but I'm telling you, those people are in trouble, uh, you know, because uh, they're, they're just on the devil's list to devour. Now, uh, we won't turn there, but John 4, 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit. And we are created by God in his likeness and image. Uh, we are spirits who have a mind and we live in a physical body. Now, the medical world only deals with the two dimensions of, of men, which is the body and the mind. And unless 
You go to a doctor who's a believer, they don't even acknowledge uh, the spiritual dimension of man. Uh, if you died today, you would still exist. You would still have your mental faculties. Um, we know that because, uh, you know, in the, the, Jesus told the story about the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, the ri uh, rich man, you know, went to hell. Uh, and the, the uh, Lazarus went to paradise, which was the Old Testament holding place for the saints of the Old Testament. And uh, in that story, they knew where they were. They were conscious. They had their mental faculties. The rich man knew he was in hell. He knew exactly where he was. The Lazarus knew he was uh, with the Father in Abraham's bosom. And, uh, you know, the rich man said, send somebody to my family and tell them they don't want to come here, you know. So, so it's obvious that, the, that you have your mental faculties once you leave uh, this earth. Now there's another count. They not only believe in the spirit realm, they believe there's a demon behind every bush and under every rock. You know, you got the other, other extreme. I mean, there's a devil in the can opener and there's a devil in the, you know, a microwave and, and everything. You know, they go to the other extreme. Uh, they are they are real, but for the child of God, there's no reason for us to, to be afraid or to have any fear. Uh, you remember the story in Acts 19 about the sons of Sceva? They were uh, traveling Jews uh, who observed Paul's ministry, and they observed how that these handkerchiefs were taken from Paul's body, and when they were put on people, that these evil spirits came out of them. And they thought, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty powerful. Let's, uh, let's have a go. So uh, they spoke to this evil spirit uh, and in this man, and they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And the evil spirit spoke back to them and said, we know who Paul is, and we know who Jesus is. Who are you? Who are you? They, that, evil, that demon knew that these men did not have the authority uh, to cast them out. They were not believers. They were just trying what they saw somebody else do. And these demons knew that they did not have to obey them, and they didn't come out. The Bible says that the man with the evil spirit jumped on them, beat them all up, they, and they ran off without their clothes. So that, that demon knew that, that that group did not have authority over them. Now when Paul's group spoke to them, they had to come out. Amen? They had to obey that name of Jesus. So this is a believer's meeting. And for believers, we should not be afraid of the devil at all. Now Jesus said, I give you a power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now let's turn over to James 4. James 4 verse 7. Which says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, 
And he will do what? He will flee from you. The Young's Literal Translation says, Be subject then to God. Stand up against the devil. Stand up against the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, if there was no devil, and if there were no evil spirits, why would James, James tell us to stand up against the devil if there's not one? You know? So the truth is, we have an unseen enemy, and the Bible doesn't tell us to ask God to make the devil quit bothering us. The Bible says, stand up against the devil and do what? He will do what? He will flee. If you, if you stand up against him, he will flee. Now the New Century Version says, he will run from you. The Voice Translation says, he will run away in failure. The truth is, the devil is afraid of you as a born-again believer. That's, that's the real truth. He's afraid of you. And the reason he's afraid of you is because who, who is in you. That's why he's afraid of you. He's afraid of who's in you, and he's afraid of that name that you have authority to use over him. That's why when you resist him and stand up against him, he will flee. If he wasn't afraid of you, he wouldn't flee, would he? That, the fact that he runs away when you stand up against him in the name of Jesus, that's evidence that, uh, that he's afraid of you. So, uh, let's, uh, you know, we're not supposed to be afraid of the devil. Let's turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. This is Jesus in the wilderness. Um, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when he, uh, they were ended, he, afterward he hungered. And the devil said unto him, uh, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone to be made bread. And Jesus answered him. So, if the devil talked to Jesus and Jesus answered him back, then there must be a devil. <laughs> okay? Um, and verse, uh, Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live uh, by bread alone, but by every word of God. Verse 5, And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power, which should be translated authority, all this exousia authority, I will give to thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. So, who gave this authority to the devil? Adam. Adam gave it to him. So it was his to give. Now there are people that say, ah, that's not true. The devil's a liar. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he was just lying to Jesus. Well, 
uh, you know, if he was lying, Jesus would have known he was lying. If he didn't have the authority to give it to him, Jesus would have known he didn't have the authority to do it. And secondly, if he didn't have the authority to give it to him, it would not have been a temptation to Jesus. It wouldn't have been a temptation. He said, eh, for, you know, you're, you're, you're just talking hot air. But Jesus was tempted, so he did have the authority uh, to give it to him. Now, uh, you know, you just turn on the news, and it's obvious that God is not running things around on the earth. Amen? There's a lot of things happening on the earth that are not the will of God. It's sin and wicked people under the influence of the devil. And, you know, people say, well, why doesn't God do something about it? He has. That's why we're talking about this. He has done something about it. Uh, in Psalm 115, 16, it says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. Amen? The earth hath he given to the children of men. Now, how much murder, stealing, crime, cancer, and AIDS is in heaven? None. Do you know why? Because God is in complete control there. That's why there's not any in heaven, because God is in complete control there. Here on the earth, men are in control, and most of them that are in control are not looking to God. They're yielding to the devil. As a matter of fact, they dare not even mention God. Um, you know, recently, President Trump visited Israel for several days, and I read that in the three days he was there, in the speeches he gave in three days, he mentioned God's name in a positive way 29 times in three day speeches. Now, when's the last time you heard any president or any world leader use God's name favorably one time in a speech? It's been a long, I don't know if even in my lifetime I ever remember that happening. But he mentioned God's name favorably, reverently, 29 times in three days. So I say, Amen. Things are turning. Hallelujah. So Jesus prayed, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if his will was already being done on the earth, there's no need to pray that. So, verse 7, uh, If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. So the devil's trying to tempt Jesus into yielding to sin. And this is the exact same thing, the exact approach, the exact scheme and strategy he used on Adam and Eve in the garden. Folks, I'm telling you, he hadn't got anything new. He's got one little bag of tricks, and he's been recycling that little bag for thousands and thousands of years. Right here, he tempted Jesus with something to eat. Now, isn't that what he did to Adam and Eve in the garden? 
It hadn't, and nothing's changed. He has not changed. He hadn't got anything new to use against you. Now, Adam and Eve, they failed that test. But Jesus, he passed the test. Amen? Jesus did not yield to the devil. He stood up against him. And what happened? Well, verse 13 says, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So the devil threw everything he had at Jesus, but he failed. And he ran away in failure, just like James said that he would. Now, that doesn't mean that he won't come back. <laughs> you know, said he went for a season, but he went. So if, you know, you can't uh, yield to the enemy and have him flee from you at the same time. The, you have to submit to God first, stand up against the devil, and then he'll flee. But you can't do both. You can't submit to him and listen to him and, and start yielding to him and then expect him to flee at the same time. It's both, you know, it's not going to happen. And he's afraid of you because who is in you? He has encountered God and Jesus before. I've already mentioned, Jesus went in to hell, spoiled the principalities and powers, took back the keys of hell and death. Uh, so when you know who you are in Christ and what you can do in his name, the devil doesn't want to deal with you either. He's already dealt with uh, Jesus, and he doesn't want to deal with him anymore. And so that's why he's afraid of you. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to what? Stand against the devil. Isn't that the same thing that James said? Stand up against the devil. So uh, when the devil sees you wearing that armor of God, he thinks it's God. As far as he knows, it's God. He doesn't know that's just little you and me in there. When he sees God's armor and he hears that name of Jesus, as far as he's concerned, he's dealing with the man. Amen? That's why he has to flee. Hallelujah. So God intends for us to live here on the earth like he does. Jesus is our example. Now, um, where are we? Back in verse 8 of Luke. Uh, when Satan said, if thou, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Do you think there are times when we need to say that today? Yeah. yeah. Let's practice right now. Get behind me, Satan. Amen. One more time. Get behind me, Satan. Hallelujah. Now, even the most spiritual and, and holiest people, the people who have walked the closest to God, you know, there have even been times when they, you know, they had wicked thoughts. You know, Satan would bring wicked thoughts into their mind and, and suggestion, suggestions and so forth. Uh, and it's, it's not a sin to be tempted you know, to have these suggestions and thoughts, it's only a sin when you yield to them. But uh, if Christians don't believe in the devil, 
or if they don't know how he operates in targeting the mind with these thoughts and suggestions, then they don't recognize where this is uh, coming from. Uh, I remember this is like way back uh, when I was in America. Now, it was not too long uh, after I had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So I was I began to be a little bit more aware, you know, of these things. But I still had no teaching, really. But um, I began to listen to some tapes on, you know, more advanced spiritual things. And um, I remember one day I was, I was out cutting the grass, you know, mowing the yard. And I, I, was have, I noticed for uh, two or three weeks I had these uh, horrible words coming into my mind. You know, there was just like curse words. And, and these curse words were just coming into my mind. And I thought, where is this coming from? You know, I mean, I, I'd never experienced anything like this before. And I thought, I know I'm a Christian and I believe I'm saved. Why am I having these curse words coming into my mind? And I don't think I had been hanging around with people like that. I wasn't backslidden. I wasn't living wrong or anything. But I first I became aware of these words coming into my mind. And for a little while, I started questioning, man, maybe I need to get saved again or something, you know? And I didn't realize where these thoughts were coming from. But once I began to get some teaching and so forth and know how to where it's coming from i knew it was coming from out here somewhere i knew it wasn't coming within me but i began to uh you know be able to you know it, it went and I, I began to be able to recognize it and and you know take authority over it so don't play with the thought or the suggestion let's say let's practice again what do we say get behind me satan Amen. And when it, we stand up against him in the name of Jesus, what will he do? He will flee. Amen. And when he comes back, we stand up against him again. Amen. If he comes against you a hundred times, you stand up against him a hundred and one times. Amen. And you resist him and he'll flee a hundred and one times. Now, here in Luke 4, the devil threw everything he had at Jesus, and he failed to get Jesus to yield to him. Now, let's look down at verse um, 31. Uh, and it came, and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power, and in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who you are, the Holy One of God. Now isn't it amazing that the demons instantly recognized who Jesus was and they knew that he had come to torment them. And the religious leaders of Israel didn't have a clue <laughs> who he was. I mean, I think really, after a little short while, they did know, they did know who he was, yeah. and they just flat out rejected him. But uh, I think beginning, you know, they didn't, they, 
didn't recognize who he was, but the demons knew who he was. Um, and they said, art thou come to destroy us? Do you think this scared Jesus? No, I don't think he was scared when he heard, heard them uh, asking these questions and challenging him. And you can tell by the tone and this evil spirit's voice, they are afraid of him. You can tell by the tone of the voice. Now we're children of God. The greater one is inside you. The anointing of God is on the inside of you. And you shouldn't be afraid. Amen? Hallelujah. Now let's look at how Jesus handled evil spirits. Um, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Verse 35. And Jesus rebuked him. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace. Now the word rebuke comes from an old French word. Maybe some of you know it. It means to beat back or to beat down. It's a sharp disapproval. In other words, it's a harsh tone. It's not talking nicely in soft tones to somebody. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace. Now today, we wouldn't say, hold thy peace, okay? Hold thy peace as it is King James English for shut up, okay? That's what it means. So Jesus didn't say, shh, we're having church. Don't interrupt. Jesus didn't say that. It's a rebuke. He said, shut up and come out. Now, these are the two most important things you need to know about dealing with the devil in any form or fashion. Number one, shut up. Number two, come out. Amen? Pretty basic, okay? Not too, not too complicated. So, we're talking about how Jesus dealt with evil spirits, and he's our example. Number one, shut up. Number two, come out. Amen? I don't think Jesus was scared when he did this. Notice also, uh, Jesus didn't just call them some derogatory names. You know, you lowlife, slimy worm, no good for nothing. You know, no, that wouldn't have done any good. Just calling the devil a bunch of names doesn't do anything. He's going to laugh. He, he doesn't have to respond to that. You give the faith command and you believe it's done. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's practice, practice again what Jesus did. Number one, shut, shut up. up. Number two, come, come out. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, this is not what you say to your husband or wife, okay? I'm not advocating that. We don't have control over people, but we do have control over the devil and the powers of darkness that are influencing uh, other people. So, uh, when the devil, verse 35, when the devil uh, had come out or had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him. 
So when Jesus told him to come out, what did he do? When Jesus told the evil spirit to come out, what did the evil spirit do? He came out. Amen. Why did he come out? Because Jesus told him to. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. And verse 36, And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power. Now, isn't that what we've been talking about? Authority and power is what he gave to the disciples and what he's given to us. For with authority and power, he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they do what? They come out. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So this is, uh, this is what he gave to the 12. This is what he gave to the 70. This is what he's given to you and me. Power and authority. <clears throat> Amen. One more time. What did Jesus do? Shut up. Shut up. Come, out. Come out. You got it. Amen. So now we're about to see here in the next few verses, you deal with sickness the same way. Now, um, you know, this may seem strange to people from traditional church backgrounds because the church got away from this. Some groups got away from this hundreds of years ago and have never gotten back. They have never gotten back to the Bible. Um, if we're going to be Christians, we got to have Jesus as our example, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, the Christ. And if we're going to be victorious, we're going to have to deal with things the way Jesus dealt with them. He's our example. Now, verse uh, 37, And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. The church as a whole has allowed so much junk of what the devil's doing to carry on, you know, and not shut it down in the earth. I'm telling you people, don't blame the conservatives, don't blame the labor, don't blame the liberal Democrats, don't blame the Republicans, and don't blame the Democrats. It's the church's fault. The earth is in the state it's in. Amen? Now I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's the church's fault that the, the earth is the state it's in. We have been given authority down here. Jesus left us in charge. We are his body on the earth. Amen? And that's just the way it is. Hallelujah. Now, we're going to know what to do. Hallelujah. We're going to start, we're going to start act, acting on it. A lot of people are just tolerating things and acting like they're powerless to do anything about it. Uh, you know, we're, we're not to allow the devil to run rampant in our families and our body and our finances, our government and our country. Uh, it, God's leaving it up to us to do something about it. And many people think, they think God is somehow, uh, this is somehow the will of God allowing it to happen. Or they just think they're powerless to do anything about it. 
But when we see the devil working in an area, anything to do with killing, stealing, and destroying, we need to do what Jesus did. Bind it up, shut it up, and if necessary, command it out. If it's in our territory. Now, organized religion replaced truth with tradition. And they stopped getting the results that Jesus got. That's why this seems so strange to many traditional churches. I'm telling you, if Jesus was to come, if he was even allowed in many churches today, he, they, they'd probably dismiss him. Yeah, if he was even allowed in there. I mean, if he talked like, like Jesus is talking here, I don't think he would be welcome for very long. Uh, that's why the, the church got away from this. And uh, religion doesn't have the answers. They replace results with rituals and traditions and excuses and explanations. Much of the church today has plenty of traditions, rituals, explanations, and if people want that, they can have it. But I want results. Amen? Not talk. Hallelujah. Experiencing victory, healing, provision, protection, freedom, being led supernaturally by the Spirit. And in order to get to experience, you have to get away from tradition and get to the truth of the Word, which is what we're doing. Now, verse 38. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Now, when I went to Israel with Mika, Mika's been a number of times, but we went, I remember we went to Capernaum, and this synagogue that we're reading about right here, there's a few ruins, a few structures of that synagogue still left. There's a few columns and walls, and, and the part of the synagogue is still there. And what would be kind of across the street and a few doors down is Peter's house. And the ruins of it is still there. You can still see the walls, individual rooms. You can still see there's no roof, but their walls and individual rooms are still there. It's been preserved. And a built, they built above it a church on stilts. So I guess that's kind of part of preserving it. But this is where we're reading about right here. They went to, to uh, they called Jesus to go to Peter's house. It says, verse 38, Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. Uh, this doesn't sound like this was just, you know, a mild little couple of degrees fever. This was, sounds like it was quite serious. Verse 39, and Jesus stood over her and prayed, Father, you know how much our sister has suffered we know, you know how hard she's worked in the church and how she cares for people. But we just don't understand your mysterious ways. But we know you're perfecting something in our sister and everything happens for a reason. Is that what Jesus did? No. No. But I'm quoting what half the church prays. I'm not quoting Jesus. This is the way half the church prays. Did Jesus ever pray that way? No. 
Do, do you read where Peter, James, John, Paul ever prayed that way? No. So why does half the church world pray that way? As a matter of fact, Jesus did not even pray. He did not even pray here. What did Jesus do? He stood over her and he rebuked the fever. Now underline the word rebuke there. Verse 39, uh, he rebuked the fever. In verse 35, he rebuked the evil spirit. So this is twice in just a few verses we see the word rebuke. Can a fever hear you when you talk to it? Must be. What, what does it say uh, in verse 39? He rebuked the fever and what happened? It left her. So fevers must be able to hear. If, if you can speak to a fever and it leaves, it must be able to hear you. Uh, he talked, he didn't talk to the lady, he talked to the fever. Now most people today, you know, would think Jesus was crazy. The religious people of his day thought he was crazy. Never mind today, you know. They thought he was crazy. They actually accused him of having a demon. You remember? They accused him of having a demon. The scribes accused him of casting out demons by Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan or Baal worship or Satan. They attributed, in Jesus' day, they attributed the works of God to the works of Satan. And this is what is called blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said this is the only sin that no one can be forgiven from. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is attributing the work of God to Satan. Jesus talked to trees. He talked to evil spirits. He talked to fevers. He talked to the weather. He'd have a difficult time getting into some churches today, wouldn't he? Yeah. Why? Because that's not the way we do things in our denomination. That's why. Verse 39, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, so obviously fevers can hear. Can high blood pressure hear? Can arthritis hear? Can diabetes hear? Can cancer hear? Amen. So this is what shocked the people, including the religious people. The way he spoke with boldness and authority and whatever he said, he expected it to happen. He knew the fever would obey him. He knew the fig tree would obey him. He knew the wind would obey him. He knew dead people would obey him. And the people weren't used to that. I mean, you can imagine how shocked they were. They weren't used to this. They were used to hearing scholars and theologians pontificating about their self-righteousness and what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. That's what they were uh, used to hearing. 
And the religious leaders desperately wanted Jesus to be like them. They desperately wanted him to be like them. They saw his potential when he was 12 years old in the temple. They marveled at his knowledge of the scriptures. They thought, boy, we have found a diamond here. It won't be long till he'll be preaching in our convention. Amen? I mean, they thought they had discovered a real uh, gem, you know. But Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked them <laughs> for putting rules and regulations on people instead of preaching the blessing of Abraham. He called them vipers and whitewashed tombstones. Now, you know, his popularity was growing all the, all the while, wasn't it? <laughs> and the final straw was when he took that whip and cleared out the temple and drove the money changers out, you want to talk about a rebuke, that was a rebuke. And that was the final straw. And they said, this guy has got to go. He is ruining hundreds of years of our traditions and our control over people. He has got to go. Verse 39, it left. He rebuked the fever and it left her. One minute she was delirious with fever. The next minute she was up serving them. So when Jesus walked in and said, fever, get off of her and come out. This is foreign, excuse me, foreign to much of the church world. Uh, they would think this was radical and extreme. But think about something in the natural. Let's say you got brand new carpet, brand new furniture, brand new curtains in your living room. And uh, it's summertime, you got the back door open or the patio doors open and you go to the other end of the house, maybe put some clothes in the washer or something, and you come back and the hog has walked in your living room uh, straight from the stinking mud pile, covered dripping in mud. It's walking around the living room on your new carpet, rubbing up against your new furniture, rubbing up against your new curtains. Do you think you would say now, you know, I wonder if God sent this hog in here for some reason. Maybe God allowed this hog to come in so we would appreciate our new furniture or something. No, you would never think that. People never think that way except in church. You know, maybe God allowed this for some reason. No, you would get a broom or something, a chair or something, and you would be violently driving that hog out of your living room. Well, folks, that's what we got to do with the devil. Amen? We're not supposed to be tiptoeing around and, you know, thinking uh, that somehow God is in this, stealing, killing, and destroying. People are doing this in their lives, their bodies, their finances, their kids. The devil's coming in and setting up camp, and they're going to church every Sunday saying, well, whatever the Lord wants, I guess, you know, he's, uh, everything happens for a reason, you know. Folks, what the devil wants is for us to stand, what God wants is for us to stand up against the devil and command him to leave our house, our bodies, our finances, our schools, 
and our country and our government. Amen? That's what God wants. And religion teaches you to just accept everything that happens as the will of God. This is not the way Jesus operated. Now, Jesus has told you what to do when your kids get a fever. Amen? So you know what to do now. I'm not saying that you can't give them any medicine either, but on the spiritual side, you know what to do. You rebuke that thing in Jesus' name. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. So that's what we're here for is to learn from the Bible how to exercise our authority over the devil and his works. We need to know what is not of God and boldly stand up and tell it to get out of your house. Amen? You stand up and say, no devil, not in this house, not my kids, not my finances, not my body. Stop and get out in Jesus' name. And that's what you call rebuking something. Now, if you're out in a public place, you have to use a little bit of wisdom, okay? Because people are not going to understand. They probably haven't heard this message, so they're not going to understand what you're doing. But you can rebuke the devil under your breath, or you can go around the corner of the building, or when you get in your car. So in public, it's a little bit different, but uh, there may be a time when that's necessary. But certainly, in the privacy of your own home, if you live with unbelievers, wait till they leave the house, and you start rebuking. Amen? Hallelujah. You, you, you can do it. We need to know what's of God and what's not of God. Anything that's killing, stealing, or destroying, God doesn't want you to tolerate. He wants you to use the authority he's given you. Now let's turn to Luke 8, 22. We'll look at one more example. Luke 8. 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell into a deep, into a, fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. And Jesus got up, and he said, Okay, men, let's all kneel down and pray. It looks like we're all going to die tonight. Let's all get our hearts right with God, because it looks like we're all about to go be with the Lord right now. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't understand why our ministry is being cut short here at, you know, we're just getting started. I don't know why God didn't want us to fulfill the rest of our ministry, but whatever the Lord wants, you know, everything happens for a reason. No, that's not what Jesus did. That's not what he said. What was the Lord's will? Go to the other side. That was the Lord's will. Not die in the storm. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Yet, when the storms of life come, millions of Christians 
pray this way instead of doing what Jesus did. They either believe God is in the storm, God allowed this storm to come to teach them something or to perfect them, or they think if God's not in the storm, there's just not anything they can do about it. They just believe, well, you know, Mother Nature, there's nothing we can do about that, you know. Well, the disciples went and woke up Jesus, and what did he do? Verse 30, uh, where are we, 8? Where am I? Uh, 24? Yeah, 24. I looked at 34. And when they came to him and awoke him, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and did what? Rebuked the wind. Now that's the third time in Luke we've seen Jesus rebuke something. Amen? That wasn't supposed to be there. He rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And what happened? And they ceased, and there was a calm. Now Jesus had to know that God was not in that storm, that God did not cause this storm. He did not allow this storm for, to perfect them, or there was no good in this storm. Otherwise, he would not have rebuked it. So when you see something killing, stealing, destroying, what do you do? Rebuke it. Amen. Stand up against it. Command it to stop. Quit. Get out. Desist its operation in your family, in your finances, in your business, in your job. But if you don't believe in evil influences and you believe that God's in everything and God has some purpose in this, then you're not going to do anything. And unfortunately, that's where millions of Christians are. So it makes a lot of difference what you believe, doesn't it? Amen. Jesus rebuked evil spirits. He rebuked the weather. He rebuked fevers. Now some people would say, well, Barb, that was Jesus. Well, what about the 12 disciples? He gave them authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. What about the 70? That wasn't Jesus. What about the book of Acts? John 14, Jesus said, The works I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these, because I go to the Father. So he fully expects us to be carrying on this planet and operating the same way he did. That's why he did it. That's why it's written down and recorded for us. And the further away the body of Christ has gotten from the Bible, and the more concerned it has become with being socially acceptable, intellectual, and educated, the more powerless and ineffective and defeated the church has become. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is showing us here how to live, how to live in authority and power. When the storm stopped, What's the first thing Jesus said to them in verse 25? Where is your faith? So he obviously expected them to do what he did. Or otherwise, he had no right to say, where is your faith? We just saw Jesus' faith. He stood up and he spoke to the wind and the weather and he rebuked it. 
That was his faith. It stopped because he told it to stop. And he turned to his disciples and said, where's your faith? So it's obvious he expected them to do it. You know, he could have said, hey guys, we've been together for a while. You've seen me do this before. Was it really necessary to come wake me up? So he's given them a little lesson there. Jesus was not operating on the earth as the Son of God. He operated on the earth as a man, filled with the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus left all of his divine privileges and abilities in heaven, and he came to earth as a man. Hallelujah. Verse 25, And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man... What manner of what? Man. So Jesus was a man, ministering as a man on the earth, anointed by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't operating as the Son of God. What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. We've been given the mighty name of Jesus, and we have been given his authority. The greater one is in us, and on us. Jesus said, you shall receive what? When the Holy Spirit comes on you? Power. Amen. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Do you think we need to step up and start operating more like the head of the church and not just tolerating this junk and believing that God's in it somehow? If we as New Testament believers have no power over the devil, then why does the Bible tell us to give him no place? So, when you stand up to the devil and you command him to stop and get out, you have to believe he's going to get out. Okay? Now that's a real key to it. you got to believe he's going to get out. You speak to the weather, you speak to the fever, you have to believe it's going to obey you just like it obeyed Jesus. So if you're questioning whether it's going to work or not, it probably won't. You have to believe by faith that it will. You speak to it, it will obey you the same as Jesus because it's His authority that you're operating in. It's His name. It's His authority. That's why Satan has to to flee. He has to bow. Amen? So, we're going to start stepping out in faith and acting on the knowledge we have. Amen? Hallelujah.